0: Hello and welcome back to Book Shambles. If you missed the announcements on Twitter or the trailer he screened at Robin M. Bryan's Christmas Compendium of Reason, we've got a new project coming up in January called Cosmic Shambles, which is going to bring Cosmic Genome, Book Shambles and everything together in a new digital hub full of brand new podcasts and documentaries and web series and interviews and all sorts of stuff for curious people. So if you'd like to be the first to find out about all of that, you can sign up for free to the mailing list now at cosmic shambles.com. and now over to you robin hello we're still giving away a box of books to one of our patreon supporters every week a different one by the way not the same patreon supporter every week so if you'd like to find out if you are the winner of a box of books then just listen all the way to the podcast and then we'll make the announcement of this week's prize winner got some really good stuff this week Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's book shambles. Josie, is are you crocheting? Is that I right? I am,
1: I just taught myself to crochet the other day. But I've been thinking a lot about this because um, I don't know if I agree anymore with the whole like baking and crafting is really feminist because like it's, I'm still just wasting time knotting a bit of wool yeah, you've, that you've, could you've... just be pulled apart and <laughs> fucking Donald Trump is in charge of America and has appointed old mm. men like... I feel like it's a distraction to be like, you're empowering yourself by making gifts. Well, currently you've,
0: you've made something that looks like uh, someone has a, a, a sentient belly button <laughs> that has created that out of their own belly button fluff. It's a kind of like... If that's David Cronenberg made bagpuss, I think that's the kind of thing that he would create, a oh. slightly tumescent piece of um, pink crocheting.
1: I'd be so into it. I think what I'm going to try and do is make a little human figurine. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's... Um, I'm not expert at it. It's, it's, I mean, it's kind of fun, but it's pointless.
0: Now we had a lovely bit of swearing from you here, so we should introduce our guest, who you've probably heard already, uh, uh, who was also brought very kindly her mother with her, Alice Lowe, who I'm may well do more of the uh, speaking. This is uh, this is the first we, we many years ago had John Ronson, and I think his at that point his son was uh, 12 or 13. This is our youngest guest, uh, not quite at their first birthday, uh, and I said, with um, Alice uh, Lowe who. Well, I'll tell you, the first thing we'll talk about is um, a bit of work that we did together, Dead Funny Uncle, yeah. which you, this is going to be a really interesting thing because very rarely when people are talking about the creation of horror stories is there the kind of just behind the, the sound of a young child playing <laughs> with, we should say, playing with a doll of Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah.
1: That's um, that's Robin's Christmas present from me, by the way. Oh, it's brilliant.
2: She was hugging it earlier. She does really oh. like it. I think she thinks it's done Donald Sutherland though <laughs> like, it, couldn't it double as a Donald Sutherland it
0: could just about do yeah Donald <laughs> Sutherland it's don't look now Donald Sutherland yeah. hint of invasion of the body snatch yeah. Donald Sutherland yes. now you wrote for Dead Funny Encore which is a collection of uh, horror stories by people including Josie Long and Stuart Lee okay. and uh, Alan Moore and uh, many others Uh, you wrote some quite extreme stories, and they would have been written... I mean, in fact, and this feels weird, but um, Johnny, who's the co-editor, really wanted to put your story as the first story in the book, and I said, I don't think a story called Pedo would be a good... Just for when people are kind of browsing in the shop and they pick the book up. Let's stick that a little bit further in the middle. So how much of the creation... Of those horror stories do you put down to also the fact that you were pregnant at the time
2: um it's funny because I think I would have written those stories whether I was pregnant or not but actually I think the thing is that I wrote about three of them didn't I I I sort of you asked me to write one and I ended up writing three because I was in my second trimester and I had, like, this weird amount of energy. I just had loads of surplus energy, and I thought I could do everything. I thought I could write a novel and make a film and go to Edinburgh and just do everything. And so it was a bit of a mania, in a way.
1: Did you go to Edinburgh in that time as well?
2: Only for about three days. I did, like, a three-day sort of shoot. uh, Show, is what I mean. Um, Yeah, with... That's incredible. but I just did everything. It was mental, and people don't tell you about this element of second trimester pregnancy
0: it's going to be a lovely uh, basically a, a short session of a, a mixture of uh, talking about uh, the barbaric horror work that you've done while at the same time every now and again hearing Josie and me cooing at your child you're a very delightful child um, now, so those stories, did you, as well as just having that incredible sense of creativity, and have you said other people you've spoken to have said that there was a sense in the second trimester of this incredible creativity?
2: Um, I've read about it. I got one of those sort of, you know, I, I signed up for one of those websites so that every week they give you an update about what you should be feeling. And literally, I had every single symptom that they were emailing me about. So they'd be like, this week, you should be feeling itchy around your ears. And I'd be like, yes, yes, I've had that. (laughs) And like someone said to me, stop reading the emails (laughs) because you're just having every symptom in reaction to the email. But yeah, you know, they do say that your second trimester is that it's something like teary, cheery, weary that represents the three different trimesters. And I found that to be well, I wasn't I wasn't that tired in the last one i was okay but that's pretty much accurate i think the second
1: trimester sounds amazing oh it is
2: i was like i felt like sometimes i felt like i was on drugs i literally did i remember going to this town in devon and i felt like i was having a psychedelic experience because it was really sunny and I, i was in my second trimester and I just was like walking around on a cloud. I was literally like, I'm so high right now. This isn't normal. It's actually must be pregnancy hormones, which is brilliant. I'm not complaining, it it's really free. good. Wow. Yeah, it's free and, you know, legal and everything. It's kind of yeah. not free at all, though, in the other way, isn't it? it, 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 it it's
0: then for the rest of your life, it, it's, there's, there's a payback. real lack of... Um, <laughs> lack of it being
1: cheap. Yes. What, what about well.
0: Prevenge, which is... I, mean, I, I love the, the, the first... Uh, I think it's the first feature film you did, uh, which is Sightseers, which I, yes. I think is is uh, brilliant. And also uh, Steve Orham is one of my... I just think it's, it's a brilliant uh, coupling, the two of you together... <laughs> uh in where two people basically committing a variety of murders on in a very English peak district tour isn't it really? is that
2: yeah, I mean that was a long time in its uh, inception it had a much longer gestation than my second film, but um yeah, we'd sort of you know we'd been doing comedy together as you know, like character comedy which sort of really isn't in vogue anymore it's very rare you know you get people like angelos epithymio and who are doing really well and sort of but really it's quite unusual to have character comedy and me and steve were sort of plodding away as part of ealing comedy which was comedians you know group of comedians coming together they were trying to make it like saturday night live and um it had so much potential it kind of didn't it sort of didn't really go anywhere but me and Steve had come up with these characters, these sort of, um, you know, camping weirdos who were serial killers and started developing it to have a longer form, basically, which we thought was going to be TV, um, but ended up being filmed. So,
0: now Prevenge, so before we get onto the books and the stories, uh, Prevenge, obviously, pregnancy is an important part of that film you've yeah. had incredible uh well reaction already. you've won and uh, you've got an award the uh, in november didn't you for prevention
2: um yeah we got um a monster fest award for innovation um which is nice because it is it was kind of innovative in that i was pregnant at the time and wanted to make you know someone said to me do you want to make a film and i was like i really do but i'm screwed in terms of pregnancy and uh And then I kind of thought, why aren't I just using this? You know, I complain so much about opportunities that I don't get and here's an opportunity that I have got and I'm saying oh I can't do it so how? And what was the timing of it like when
1: did you because you wrote it as well yeah like, when did you
2: start I, and I pitched what? it when I was about six months <gasps> and then we filmed it when I was like seven and a half that's incredible so in that time I wrote a script probably in about a week week and a half with notes <laughs> um, then we started pre-production because you know we needed to find the locations and stuff like that and you know I sort of said to the production, production company you know the downside of this is we've got to film it in the next two months and they, to my surprise, went, okay. So I was like, they're going to say no. And at every stage I was like, seeing my friends and stuff and they were like, how's the pregnancy going? I was like, yeah, I'm making a feature film. It's not going to happen, though. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Why would they let me make a feature film? I'm pregnant. It's ridiculous. And then it did happen. And so a lot of it has been a sort of remarkable surprise to me. Especially the fact that people then actually have liked the film, because, you know, that's sort of just um, icing on the cake, really. Because I was getting really frustrated. I just wanted to make a film, and just a lot of my low-budget experience is like, you can't get better until you've made your first thing. Yeah. And so it's that Catch-22 thing where you're like, well, until someone lets me make my first thing, I can't make my first thing, like... Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm so glad that I did it now. But there was a lot of people sort of saying to me, Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you going to be okay? You, you know, are you going to be well enough? And I was a bit like, I think I'm all right. You know, I think there are women that are, uh, you know, it's different for everyone. There's some people that are really ill, you know, and it's just bad luck and they're, you know, they might be vomiting all the time and they might have condition or something. And I didn't have any of that. So I was a bit like, You know, there are women out there working in the fields pregnant and with babies on the back i was like i think I'll, i think i'll be alright it's just directing a film it's not you know yeah it I, I know it is it's long hours but i went in with a sort of lightness of spirit in a way because i was kind of like the most important thing is a baby you know it's the baby's health Making a film is not that important, really, in the scheme of things. And that was quite good, to yeah. think that, because you can, that can be the thing that stops you and sabotages you from doing anything in the first place, is this fear that it's not going to be good enough, yeah. that it's, you know, this stress that comes through. And I just sort of was like, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not going to do any of that, because it's not worth... The expense of her health or my health to get stressed about it, so I'm just well, gonna enjoy it, you know. And I did, I had an br- amazing time, just really, really enjoyed it. Are
0: there any other examples? I'm trying to think of people who've been heavily pregnant and starred in a film, and I think um, certainly in the horror genre, you perhaps made a little niche for yourself there. But I don't know that,
2: if anyone's ever starred and directed, I think there have probably been pregnant directors, um, but I don't know if there's been anyone doing the two at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, it was quite interesting as well because I just felt like, I don't know, in a way, it's sort of given me this thing of, like, I think I would have had... If I hadn't have been pregnant, I might have made the same film and people might have been going, what do you know about pregnancy? How dare you say this woman would kill someone or something? And it's it's what you're saying about my stuff being dark. I feel like somehow it gives you a bit of a free pass being a woman in some ways because you can say, I'm not writing about uh, the abuse of women without knowing about it. You know, I've not yeah. quite written about the abuse of women, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm writing for a point, from a point of um, maybe being perceived as usually the victim. Mm. So, I don't know. I kind of feel like I go to dark places because I feel like who's going to stop me? Mm. <laughs> yeah. In a weird sort of way, which is like... Again, me sort of kicking against whatever you might feel inhibits you as a female creative. Sometimes people going, um, "Oh, you can't do that," or, "You can't do this." I kind of, I kind of have this punk aesthetic of like going, "Well, I am going to do exactly what you are telling me that I can't do, or exactly going to the place that I I can't go." And in a way, if you are telling me I can't do it, then.
1: Yeah, then you almost uh, yeah. want to do it twice yeah, as much. It, yeah, so you're exactly. like, Oh, really? There you go, mate.
2: Yeah, exactly. And just sort of, I don't know. I'm just, enjoy, I just enjoy kind of, kind of enjoy the audience response of like, I don't know. I read a thing about is is there a punk aesthetic returning to film in in the UK? And I and they mentioned me as um, amongst lots of other people. And I was like, yeah, that's what I feel like. That's what I want to be, you know? Getting stuff
1: made and getting stuff made on your own terms and and quickly and stuff like that I think is, like, so important. And it's like
2: that sense. I think think anyone is punk in a way that... Or there's a sort of, you know, influence. If you've been to a meeting with someone who's got the power to let you do something or give you money to do something and they've said no and you've mouthed to yourself fuck you i going to do it anyway as you walk out of that room i think that's well, and you you that's go- a and that's a huge umbrella of people who are just doing their stuff without fear and or trying to not have an inhibition about what what um they're doing and i think sort of you know you were saying about does culture have any effects on politics and like i don't know but i do feel like there's this sort of primal scream that's coming out of people at the moment where they feel really powerless politically but they culturally or artistically
1: feel like that's where i can my voice can be heard i can do something and also there's the i love this there's this lyric from a Sleet kinney song that i really love this it's really old and it's culture is what you make it and now is the time to invent and i feel like you can have some influence on something by doing it and like yeah it is like massively empowering to kind of know that like because film is been opened up because you don't have to use actual film in the same way and like mm. so it is like more yeah it's more democratic think... yeah
2: yeah yeah because yeah, of digital being so cheap and, and and so yeah ubiquitous and um yeah i i think that's true i mean i i read um like one of my favorite books that i've read this year was just kids by patty smith oh it's which a... it's, yeah did you see
0: by the way just briefly that that her reading um her singing hard rain gonna fall
2: I, do you uh, know what? I'm not that big of a Bob Dylan fan. I don't know what, if I'll be able what? to no, walk no, the d- streets after I've said... Um, it doesn't I matter leave? about the Bob Dylan thing. Okay. No, 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 it doesn't.
0: It's just the fact that she did it at the Nobel Prize. You haven't seen it?
2: I haven't seen it. I saw it posted and I felt like a fraud, like I wasn't allowed to watch it or like it because I, I'm not that into Bob Dylan. It's not about
0: the Bob Dylan element. It's about the fact that three to four minutes in, she suddenly, uh, she just gets lost and, and they have to stop and she says, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm very nervous. Oh, wow. And it's really beautiful and she wrote about it in the New Yorker this week uh, what just did she say sent think? a cutting by the, uh, the excellent uh, uh, rad femme punk band Dream Nails <laughs> and uh, who sent me a little clipping just about and, and it, she said it wasn't that she'd forgotten the words it was that suddenly she just became totally overwhelmed by the whole thing yeah. and it's beautiful because she just says I I suddenly get," it's, 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 you know when she apologises, and then the whole audience just go yeah, and everyone totally. claps and it kind of well, the thing. that book
2: as well, it makes so much sense because I mean, every now and then I have I have that thing. I'm sure you guys do as well, where you go. I watched Vic and Bob on my telly when I was 11 at a sleepover at my friend's house, and we recited the lines. And now I'm working with them. You know, mm. you have that kind of weird telescopic moment where you're like, Oh my god, if I if I was a kid and I could see myself now, I'd think this was insane. And yeah that's what she's ha is happening to mm. her and she's honest enough and humble enough to kind of still go i'm not e- even in his league i worship him so much that i that this moment is too epic for me
1: yeah.
2: and um and kind of that's what her work's about is like to me it's like she she is like a, a someone who has prophecies you know like someone who could see into the future that she, when she was Doing, working, it was like she had this faith of like, what I'm doing is important, it's significant. That, you know, even though she says, Oh, I'm sat in a foyer with Jimi Hendrix, little did I know that he was going to be huge. But you're kind of like, Yeah, but you, I don't know, when you read that book, you trust her kind of intuition and her kind of, um, that she was on this creative path of destiny, you know, that's what it feels like when you read the book.
1: I feel like, I think there's something really interesting with that because I feel like in order to kind of even begin to be like a writer and a creative person you have to have some kind of imagined idea that you are fated as an individual (laughs) and then I definitely found that like when I was like in my late 20s that was when I started thinking oh oh I don't think I'm magic I think I've just been lucky to this stage (laughs) and I kind of miss it I've missed that feeling yeah it is like I've been reading a lot about individualism as
2: well and like you know, because it's a, a sort of fascinating thing where it's—I think it's what all artists have—is this obsession with individualism. Because I, I believe, as a director, you have to think your story is kind of more important than everybody else. So, what you, when you say individualism, <laughs> what, what
0: are you? What, what do? You... Do you mean just the, the kind of an auteur theory or I'm not entirely sure what
2: I think what it is is I don't know whether it's something of our era, but we all think that we're more important than we are <laughs> and it's kind of hugely damaging in many ways, but it's also what produces really fascinating art and culture and I just read Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins and that is about you know, there's this king I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a king who um of this ancient civilization who Um, when he gets a grey hair, they're going to kill him because all of the rulers get killed as soon as they show any signs of ageing. And he decides he doesn't want to die. Um, And so he basically evades his destiny. Um, And someone, a wise man, meets him and says, you're the first of a new breed, which is the breed of the individualist. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, you know, because it's people who step outside the norms. But you sort of know that if everybody did that, we'd all be screwed as a society. Yeah. <laughs> so it is this difficult thing. But I think when you when you read someone like Patti Smith, it's like a tract about how art is important and how there are some people who are going to pursue that as their destiny, whatever. Yeah. And I kind of felt like, in a way, I wish I'd read this when I was younger because I think it would have given me this sort of, you have permission to be an artist. Yeah. Not everybody does, but if you work hard enough and you believe in the ethos of it enough then you know you you can be allowed to be an artist even though I think it's incredibly sort of privileged kind of position um but yeah it's, it's difficult especially if you've got parents that brought you up with this work ethos of like you know I used to sort of feel like I was really rebelling against my parents by not telling them that I didn't have any money (laughs) because I think that they would immediately go oh my god what are you doing you have to get a proper job
1: you know like like, what what the hell it's like exactly the same sort of thing saying like you're in you're as entitled as anyone else to try and pursue the life that you would want Mm. and like I think it is like increasingly really really difficult because if you don't come from money then everyone around you is going to go what are you doing you're crazy you won't be able to survive this is awful and like yeah. i remember like growing up a lot of like my advice from people was basically you need a plan b and you need to focus on plan b mm. it's like well then that would be plan a if i was focusing <laughs> on it that is bad
0: but that's um, what I, I, I keep waffling on about him but the robert Rauschenberg exhibition which is at the Tate modern at the moment he was someone who, was because of the GI Bill, so he, he was in the war, and then the GI Bill gave GIs the chance to get an education or go travelling, and he was just from a small Texan town Mm. And he never thought he'd be an artist. And he goes around Europe and he thinks, I'll give art a go. And then, because he doesn't have any of the parameters or presumptions, Mm. he kind of goes, Right, yeah, I found an umbrella in the dumpster and I found that (laughs) and I'm going to stick it on a canvas and I'm going to do all that paint around it. And you look at it and you go, Brilliant. And then you go into the next room and he's bored of that because he thinks, I've done that. And (laughs) so he's doing the silk screens and then his vat of mud. And he's always wanting to work with other people as well. That's the interesting Mm. thing when you said individualism, what's beautiful. Like he became a choreographer apparently because there was. A misprint in something that accidentally called him a choreographer, so he thought, <laughs> I thought I'd better become a choreographer. <laughs> and he like, you know, work with John Cage and Merce Cunningham, and and I wow. think that it is a and everyone walking around it was just smiling because mm. they were going, This you know, I was saying to you when we talked about the other day, on yeah, the, the Christmas thing. This is he wanted everything to come out of joy,
1: yeah. Well, who says that my art should come out of my pain, it should come out of my joy, mm. but this is oh, the, this is why I'd like to ask something. Do you feel like because I think. You know what you've worked in so far is horror, but do you feel you're like that that's your sensibility, or do you feel like you want to do things in other genres, or do you feel like it's genres too?
2: I have sort of found myself in horror, and I do love horror, but I often now I'm being asked about it sometimes because of the film, and I sort of think actually I'm much more. Um, a fantasy kind of writer in a way. Like, really? Because I like surrealism and I like absurdism. And, you know, I was thinking about what books I was going to talk about and I was like, I'm talking about surrealists. They're all surrealists. And um, so I kind of feel like, yeah, my next film is going to be conceptual, but it's kind of um, sci-fi in a way. So it was just quite exciting because yeah, I think the thing about horror is it's commercial. So mm. if you're creative and you and you want to do something that um is a bit out there if you stick some horror in
1: it people are like oh this you is can okay buy it. Yeah.
2: yeah you can sell, you can sell <laughs> it which is seems a bit sort of cynical to think that way but um i don't know i think to me as well like you know you're talking about writing from pain i think for me it's like an exorcism of of bad things when I do horror. It's like it's like something that's haunted me, you know, when I've lain awake at night and I've thought, well, if I put it into a story and you articulate it, you don't feel bad about it anymore. Well, yeah. that's what I'd wonder right? about yeah. with
0: a lot of... Um, sometimes with horror authors, not all of them, certainly with a lot of the great OTA horror directors, they often seem really jolly. and You know, <laughs> someone, again, like Cronenberg, and, you know, you read the stuff that he did, obviously working with William Burroughs, working with... um because all of that getting rid of all all of that uh horror. Mm. So do you find that after Because Sightseers is a very funny film. I haven't seen mm. Revenge yet. That's mm. not When is that out? That's uh... It's
2: out on the 10th of February. That's but exciting. That kind of... Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah. And I can't did, believe it. It's amazing.
0: When did you in terms of horror did that come from uh reading it as a kid or did it come from movies? What was the
2: I think movies probably. Although, you know, I sort of always like dark fairy tales we didn't have any of that sort of censorship i think in that kind of era against like you know the Gr- brothers grim and stuff and that's what worries me about actually having a kid is i'm like there's all these sort of weird sanitized fairy tales oh. they've got happy endings and stuff like that and i'm like no i, I don't want it
1: to you want straw peter yeah
2: i do because i'm sort of like i think it's really important to have the dark as well as the light you know and um, Stroll
0: Peter is one of my... Did you ever see the shock-headed Peter? Yeah, which yeah, is Did great. you see that? No. It, it was just brilliant with the tiger lilies and then all of the <gasps> snicker-snack, snicker-snack, yes. the chopping off of the thumbs and... Because I sometimes, because I, I think I know people who go. Well, the reason you've ended up, you know, is not well in the head as you are, is clearly uh, because of you? all these horror stories. Yeah, you're Whereas, fine. Oh, I think I'm pretty balanced, really. Oh mate, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with you. This is well, what the standards I say to of people, a lot of comedians. I'm, like,
2: I'm really normal, and people go, "You're not." <laughs> but is that because
0: you, <laughs> you display? I, <laughs> I think you're normal. Oh, you course, know. Thanks. And I think there's that thing where you go, it's not abnormal to be have things in your head. Mm, the thing that makes yeah. the abnormal I mean I did a show um, a couple of years ago which involved the um, the imp of the perverse. Do you remember that idea yes, where I remember that. all of those things when you're standing on a, a a train station platform when you imagine shoving someone in front of the train and and See if I you imagine
2: getting that- shoved. I think that divides oh, two people
1: no, are shoved. I think <laughs> you can have both <laughs> really? I imagine jumping in front even though I don't yep. want to I just think oh. run in front and I'm like, no, please don't and then oh, it's like no. well run in front. Oh yeah it's it's awful. scary. Sorry, well,
0: long. the baby thing as well, because that was one of the ones, which is when you're holding someone else's baby. I mean, like like with, 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 with your daughter, one, one, every now and again, I think, well, should I just pick her up now? Because uh, she's eaten most of the James Baldwin book on the floor now. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and then I think, yeah, but what if I pick her up and for some reason decide suddenly to throw her up into the ceiling?
1: Why would I do that? But <laughs> I might do it. I
0: can't
2: take those kind of risks. It's a kind of like minor... Tourette's isn't it I have that like you're in a car and you sort of think I could open the door now and just roll out what (laughs) would happen it would be really awful don't do it apparently Um, (laughs) it means you're the
0: least likely person to do it really because the reason you're imagining it is unfortunately the the downside of having that kind of vivid imagination Mm. is you don't realise that it doesn't mean you won't do these things at all because you've actually thought it out
2: well, I, I'm very risk-aversive as well. I, like, I don't go skiing and I don't do anything where I might break, break my leg or something. Touch would you see, now I think I'm going to break my leg now I've said that. Um, like, this I could don't... be interesting,
0: isn't it, when it goes out?
1: Because then we have a nice picture <laughs> we'll of her be... in a cast. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh...
2: like, oh. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, like, revenge is about pregnancy, and that's what's quite interesting. Like what you were saying about, you know, we don't talk about negative stuff and we sort of pretend it's not there and i've had lots of people sort of respond to the film going this is the stuff we don't say you know it's like it's like this sort of weird conspiracy i feel like when you're pregnant that everyone's going to talk to you like this (laughs) it's going to be all very gentle and everything's going to be wonderful and and it's this weird voice that comes out this infantilizing of a pregnant woman And, and, you know, this is a, the opposite of that in my film. It's and it's about, sort of
1: canonising as well, isn't it? It's like, oh, look at you, you're really pure and special. Yes, so, and yeah. And not still an adult woman.
2: Yeah, who's the same person who they were before they got pregnant, you know. So I kind of put all of that in the film. I kind of put all the stuff that you're not supposed to do and you're not supposed to say. And people have sort of said, oh, it's a cathartic experience because do you
0: think there's going to be something now from the process of bringing up a child for a year has that reflected on your next story or (laughs) have have you now gone i've kind of dealt with picking things in my life and turning it into something macabre and i won't for a while
2: my next story is much lighter i would say than either sightseers or um and I'm really looking forward to it I I can't talk about it too much because I you know I'm superstitious and it's not it's still in embryonic form but oh you know I kind of just I think it is all the Donald Trump stuff that you know you find a way of dealing with this stuff and you know just a big perfume was really cool because it's about sort of this acceptance that history goes in cycles and that you have limited control over it really and there are a few people who act against their age, you know, act against the era that they're within and, and sort of change it. But um, but it's a quite hopeful book as well. And it's sort of, there's this expression in it, er, er lechter, which means like lighten up, which is kind of a recurring thing in it. And it was just exactly what I needed to be reading now. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I kind of felt like I can't deal with any like really heavy heavy stuff at the moment. And I think that is to do with having a baby as well. Because I was literally like, I can't deal with any, any sort of, like, Aleppo... I can't watch any footage of it. I know people say, oh, I can't watch that now I've had a baby, but I literally was that cliché of, like, I can't look at the little boy on the beach who who drowned, you know. But is because- that a cliché
0: or is that... Do you think that... It, I mean, I I think... There, there does seem to be almost like a change in programming from that point in terms of I've, I've found with I think we've talked about this before some of the, the horror things I just don't want to watch anymore they're mm. not yeah, when you're a teenager when you're uh, you know like the League of Gentlemen characters going around the video rental library going sin 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 that <laughs> and then you think I don't really want to see any I, I watched Whistle and I'll Come To You the brilliant uh, adaptation by Jonathan Miller with Michael Horden and I think yeah. that's the horror I like now is She's I like both. ghosts and weird whistles oh. dug out of Oh. you know graves that that's, yeah. I don't that's want any good more for
1: me. than that i i um i think as well like at times okay. like these like i've definitely noticed in the last month or so i think people really really cherish a bit of lightness and frivolity mm. not because they're like i'm going to pretend it's not happening but because they're like i need to try and get through this and be as useful as i can be like to contribute mm. and uh, you know the only way that i'm going to be able to help people is by being like fun enough to or, or like well, by having some release so that I can try and be did, useful
2: Did you see that da- the Dalai Lama reacting to Donald Trump? It was just before Donald Trump got in actually. And oh he was god. he was meeting some, you know, some ambassador or whatever and they said what someone was doing a Q&A with him and they said what do you think of Donald Trump and he just went hee 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 and he was just like and then he did an impression of him and then went hee 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 and I was just like oh my god this is the buddhist response. It's just like to laugh. That's you know, I just started getting interested in all this kind of, you know, zen. And, you know, can you fight fire with fire if you just see so many people getting het up yeah. and upset and distressed and angry and then no logic comes out. It's like the worst weapon you yeah. can use against, like, irrationality is
1: more irrationality. And also they weaponise that against you so they're like look at this hateful individual and you're like yeah. no I'm just angry that you guys are being despicable and then they're like look at
2: this bleeding heart liberal who's really irrational and ruled yeah. by their emotions and you're like but I'm, I'm actually trying to use facts you're
0: that's the thing now I think one of the biggest problems is it is all emotions mm. and in fact you know, having just toured with Brian Cox and, and he's kind of got these ideas of how we can persuade people but they're all by using evidence and mm. and for some reason the right are allowed to use uh, the hard right, the extreme right, or the alt right, or whatever name. They're, they're allowed to just use a motion with with made up evidence all the time. Yeah. And the liberals are, con- you know, one left wing person appears on the BBC bias bias. I mean, I, I saw someone after Question Time, which had Nigel Farage and uh, Louise Menchon, on, and apparently there was left wing bias all over that program. And you just go, okay. Yeah. We, we we live in a, a strange time in a strange place. We better first of all check on our neighbours and be kind to them and then build it up from there.
2: Yeah. Well what always gets me is people going, Oh, you know, you're a bleeding heart liberal, you're making a decision based on your feelings or your emotions and you're like since when is that a bad thing in terms of survival of the oh, human compassion. race? Yeah. Like, we are compassionate animals. Like, we are that's monkeys. We claim. live in communi- communities. Like, actually having empathy and kindness and working together. Isn't that how we've evolved? I mean, are we evolving beyond that? <laughs> that's the scary thing. Maybe we are. I hope I just- not.
0: Who were the writers that, oh, yeah, had, so first really, of all, who most you kind of in, in, inspired you when you were younger and you kind of um, you're beginning to just imagine that that w- possible world of creativity? Were there certain people you thought, yeah, this this could be in my grasp?
2: Um, I remember reading Angela Carter and being really into that. Um, yeah, I kind, I yeah.
0: Where but, should someone was asked me about this the other day because I'm old enough to remember when those books were coming out, so yeah. the starting point was basically when the magic toy shop pretty much came out or the bloody chamber or whatever. Yeah. But some people who are much younger than me, as so many people are now, oh. uh, were saying, you know, where do you start with Andrew Carter? So where do you think is a good uh, starting point?
2: Sorry, I'm just
0: going to... No, 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 you do whatever bit. you need. This is we haven't done a mother and baby spe- they always do mother and baby screenings at cinemas now don't they and i think it's quite right that we should have a mother and baby podcast
1: <laughs> also i'm going to take some
2: of her clothes off because i think she's quite hot yeah it is really oh yeah, this hot is a way. little sauna isn't it this is the,
0: the, the, the first baby time baby. that Josie, you're not the first one to start taking your clothes off <laughs> Yeah. it's like 1960s sweden in here sometimes isn't it
1: <laughs> i wish um uh yeah angela culture is someone i haven't read at all uh well, the fairy tale <laughs>
0: stuff is fascinating. You know, the, the the bloody chamber, which is where Company of Wolves comes from, and then takes a few of the stories. And so I suppose that for a lot of people was the starting point.
2: Yeah, a Company of Wolves, I think, was the probably where it started for me, is I saw that film when I was probably far too young to see it. Got obsessed with it and then kind of started going, Who who is this? What is this? Um, I'll read it. And then I think actually it was one, one of her stories was our GCSE set text, and huh. then I was, like, reading all of it. And um, But my mum, I mean, my mum always read this. She always read Jeanette Winterson and all of these kind of female authors d- writing about weird stuff. So she kind of got me into all of that. Her autobiography well. is lovely. Oh, why be, why, be, why be happy when you could be normal? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, I cried so much at it's the end so of it so beautiful, isn't yeah. it? yeah. In it's,
0: fact, that was one of my favourite books I read last year.
2: It's it's amazing. I was going to say that, and I was like, oh, it doesn't count because I kind of actually read it a couple of years ago. But um, it's one of those books that really stuck with me. And I just think that as an expression as well, a philosophical expression yeah. of, like, why be happy when you could be normal? And so many people are living that life. As you say, they're mm-hmm. living the plan B, B instead of
1: the plan A. And, again, and the reason they're like... living it is because of people who, when they said, I'm going to do this thing, the other people went... Are you sure? Yeah, are I actually
2: you sure? think it's probably a bad idea. Yeah, like my dad, my one of my dad's colleagues. I saw her at his seventieth birthday party, and she said, "This is a few years ago," and she said, well, um, oh, you're the one that's trying acting, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's good to do it when you're young, isn't it? As if she really just thought this is something you tinker around with before really like, coming to, you know, your
1: senses. My stepmom said to me and and god bless her my stepmom. mum she wasn't trying to be rude I don't. I feel like it was like unintentional but she went um, when the comedy doesn't work out what are you going to do <laughs> <laughs> when? this is like five years ago and I was thinking but I've been doing this professionally for five years uh, we haven't seen it you on telly very out? much have you done I mean that, <laughs> actually that
0: definition seems to have really increased now where mm. if you're you know
1: will I have seen you on anything I have oh, no idea
0: yeah. no idea doesn't matter it's not the you know, and, and that I think it's a very interesting to see the clash between the creativity that you know when I think of, 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 of sightseers and some of the other things done and then the restrictive creativity of the demographic led Stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you know, very often when I've seen you on anything, the person can apply yes, and it didn't represent me at all, and it's what <laughs> yeah. I've had to turn into this monster of commerce. Well, yeah.
2: exactly. I mean, I feel like I've done it. I've done it sort of backwards in a funny sort of way because I think that you're, for a start, I leapfrogged into making a film without making a sitcom because that's the c- comic sort of holy grail, isn't it? That you make your hit so- sitcom and it runs for years and you win lots of awards and then and they you make go a to film Hollywood. Or yeah, something. and then you yeah. make a film out of it. So we made a film which was like an incredible relief that I was like, oh, I've actually made something that someone caught on film and it's... Uh. Well, if you
1: just were developing it for a really long time, it must have felt a little bit like we need to put this down now. Yeah. We, not put it down as in let it go, as no, in like put it down lay for posterity. It down.
2: Yeah, like like doing a big poo. That was <laughs> what it felt like. It was amazing. But, you know, it's like now I'm sort of doing stuff and, I, you know, I have this frustrating thing where... You know, I meet um, production companies and they're like, well, what, have you got a TV series? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do a TV series, but it'd be really strange and really odd. Yeah. And I'm inspired by David Lynch and <laughs> uh, Dennis Potter and all of these people. And are you going to let me do it? <laughs> and they sort of pretend that they're going to let you do it for a little bit because they liked your film and then they kind of chicken out slightly. And I, I, I find think there's like a sexist really.
1: element there as well? Because like I was talking to a friend of mine about this, about how women are often not given licence to be weird. Mm, oh, totally.
2: Well, it's a category. I, I once said this on Facebook and a lot of people responded to it. I was like, being a woman is one weird. Ha! So that's- <laughs> and then being weird is two
1: weirds. You can't have two weirds. And words. you're not allowed two weirds.
2: No. So I think it's probably the same with ethnic minorities on TV. If you had, say, a black comic say to BBC, I've got a surrealist sketch show i wonder how far they'd get with it like you know maybe i'm wrong but i think they'd sort of go actually we're not looking for that you know yeah. they're, they're kind of like you've i just find you're yeah, in the box that we've that, given you yeah so you
1: better respond to that box yeah. or you're not going to get anywhere
2: yeah and i do find that that really frustrates me actually because it is like you're a woman can you just do something about being a woman <laughs> that's the weirdest th- that's the weird thing about you. and Or you go to a channel and they're like, we've already got a woman doing a show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're like, well... I've uh, had
1: that. It's so depressing.
2: What I do is completely different to what that woman does. And yeah. they're like, yeah, but we've already got a woman. So,
0: that's what I love about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Why is that? Well, because she, the, 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 the lead female character is as uh, mad, duplicitous and awful... As It's not the one who keeps going, oh, Tony, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Because that that's a lot of it, isn't it? That's Tony,
1: stop it. This is my impression of all female parts in the sitcoms. Mark, yeah. grow <laughs> up. Arms, <laughs> arms folded, rolling the eyes, cursing yeah. the lips.
2: Oh, for goodness sake, clear this place up. <laughs> grow up, why don't you? And I, I just say no outright to those roles, because I'm like, this is not a person, this is someone who is policing... The, the plot. plot. The plot <laughs> yeah, actually. And it's the 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 men then get to be funny. Because they can just buck against this woman that's going, Let's get back to the plot, shall we? <laughs> and this guy going, ruh, 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 you know, like some whatever he wants to do basically within that little geography that she's given her she's given him to play around with. And so yeah, I mean, I do think it's getting better. There's some been some brilliant female led comedies recently. Yeah. But they're all kind of based on very much realism and very much like commentary on being a woman Mm -hmm. which I kind of think is timely and it's really interesting but I just sometimes you look at a 70s film and you go there was no sort of hysteria about this character's a woman what does she feel as a woman how does she place herself as a woman it's just like she's just a character and I think we've actually forgotten how to write female characters in some ways it's like there's this sort of um, panic about it. Like, why can't there just be people? <laughs> but is
0: that because it's now gone? It's, it's moved from. A, I remember you were saying that, I was thinking of kind of Glenda Jackson and Judy Christie and all those people who mm. came out in the 60s and the past. And then there was a return sometime in the early 90s where suddenly. To you know, uh, actresses would generally be probably required to do a reasonably skimpy photo shoot mm. for one of the magazines. When So, so, so the, the man on the cover, and it's been talked about many times before, the man on the cover, really nice suit, lovely silky tie. <laughs> uh, the woman, this bra, shows mm. you off very well. Yeah. Um, we've run out of time already and uh, (laughs) from our special
1: if you have any other books that you would really recommend oh Um, hang on
0: before that one thing I wanted to ask you have you read David Lynch's book about uh, catching the fish fish?
2: yes and I think it's brilliant it's fun isn't it yeah I love it and I do sort of think about it every now and then Um, not that I do much meditation I'm more sort of experience insomnia and then try to emulate what he
1: advises you to do
2: meditation is one of those things that I always think oh I'll get round to it (laughs)
1: I really like this, oh. an app called Headspace. It's like the big meditation app, and I really like it. It's run by this guy called Andy, and I got really excited, but then I realized that he's like, it's going all around the world, and there were adverts for it on the subway in New York, and it made me think, what if Andy's a Tory? Like, <laughs> I mean, he's trying to have this global business, like, and what if he's a Tory?
2: Yeah And brainwashing you. And
1: I just thought, like, I can't cope with this idea that this voice that I trust, and then I was like, Andy could be UKIP. Like, we don't even... <laughs> I don't know Andy. I mean, I hope he's just... What's
2: he whispering to me halfway through? It could be, like, in Zoolander, you know, like, they're telling and you to programmed. kill the Malaysian Prime Minister or yes. something. Well, that's <laughs> gener-
0: A lot of people have said, I think Manchurian Candidate is... Both versions are going to be watched a great deal. What's the second <laughs> yeah. one? Because the, the, the one done by Jonathan Demme has uh, the wonderful singer-songwriter Robin Hitchcock moving through <laughs> it, really? moving through it in spooky silence. Because really? he wow. made storefront h- Hitchcock with him. Um, oh my god! Why wow, I didn't you- know that. Oh yeah, no, Robin Hitchcock popped. up. He's also in the uh, that one about the wedding. That anyway, man is an
1: absolute fascinating cultural cultural icon. <laughs> uh,
0: thank you very much for. It's been a really thank odd so podcast Hitchcock. in one way because it's uh, to to have a delightful child wandering around means that half time I. I- to be honest, haven't listened to all your answers <laughs> because I was making stupid faces. Well, that's instead. very
2: kind of you because um, you know I just expect her to tolerate me, and um, and she does, which is nice of her. But um, yeah, thank you. For <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you so for, much for coming. Thank you for her.
0: writing the stories on uh, in Dead Funny Uncle, uh, which are really interesting, and because there's such a variety. It's very because Josie yeah. wrote one that is kind of really uh, it's delightful and it's sad and then some of them are very very dark and some of them yeah there's lots of different things so thank you for that and also Prevenge uh, we'll see it in February then
2: yeah please do yeah definitely
0: (laughs) thank you very much to all our supporters both Patreon supporters and those one off PayPal supporters as well this week we would like to thank these Patreon supporters Edward Stone, Roger Shaw Bob Cairns, Nick Land John Higgs Andy, just Andy, Douglas Clements, Lee Ward and also thank you very much to Karen McMillan who is this week's Box of Books winner. If you would like to know more about the Book Shambles podcast or indeed more about other projects that we do then go to cosmicgenome.com and if you just want to know about the podcast and get reading lists for all the guests we've had then go to cosmicgenome.com slash shambles. Bye-bye. Josie Robbins Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.